What if you could go back in time and you knew more before you made those big decisions in life? What would you do differently? What advice would have helped you then and now? Welcome to Know Before You Owe podcast. I am Jim Black and I've been lucky to have gone from being a market maker on Wall Street, helping big decisions be made with key executives at companies, to now being a trusted advisor for large financial real estate transactions for families. In my career, I've met some of the most incredible people along the way, and we're lucky to have them share their experiences with us on this podcast. These are top experts in their fields, great leaders in work and in life. Guests will share their life experiences, wisdom, and insights that you can leverage in your own decisions in life. Thank you, and please stay tuned for our upcoming episodes, and I'm excited to help you know more before you go. Please subscribe to learn more, and we look forward to seeing you on our next podcast. Hi, and welcome to another edition of Know Before You Owe. I'm your host, Jim Black, and today I'm excited to have pretty much the number one last name in the mortgage industry and real estate knowledge. Uh, Robbie Christman, thank you so much for joining us today. It's an absolute honor to have you on the, on the call or on the podcast or on video and I'm honored to have you here today because I would love to ask you a few questions and get your insight as to why you've spent your majority of your life in knowledge around the mortgage industry. And you are pretty much the platinum level of knowledge and the truth about our industry. So I appreciate you being on today. Thank you very much. That's like having uh, some obscure Trump relative on Fox News and them saying it's the number one name in conservative uh draw or something like that. But thank you for having me. Appreciate it. No, no problem. I really appreciate you being here. Uh, I've been following your family for the last only 21 years. So I'm relatively new to that. Um, but more importantly, um, I really got attracted to you with your whole podcast you've been rolling out. You have your own Robbie Crispin commentary, which has been great to get a lot of insights from leaders in different industries that are related to mortgage and real estate. And can you tell me about how you got started in this industry? Well, I actually started working as a, a high school summer job for, for residential Pacific mortgage in the East Bay, drawing docks and running around the office, helping people out. I think it was for $8.25 an hour or $7.75 an hour when I was 15. And I would wake up at the before the crack of dawn and, and take the BART train over into the East Bay and, and be at work by... 5.30 in the morning. And uh, that was my introduction to the mortgage industry. And so I guess at this point, I, I turned 31 a, a couple months ago. This is this has been for more than half my life that I've been involved in the mortgage industry. Holy smokes. That's amazing. That's incredible. And I love that story about getting on BART. You didn't have an easy an easy ride over there, I'm sure. You know, waking up that early and, and doing all those stops, I'm sure you still have memorized, you know, this train is for Richmond or this train is for Pittsburgh Bay Point. I'm sure you still have all those memories of early mornings and probably early afternoons getting back on the on the on BART. And tell me about that experience. Did you go through like an internship where you went department to department? Did you just shadow somebody? What was your involvement there? How did that start? Well, riding the bar train, I got pretty good at shooting dice, which which still helps me out in the the streets every <laughs> month. But, but, uh, I I uh, started working for the lock desk over there under a lady named uh, Jill Lewis, and uh, went department to department. And it was kind of a what what menial task are we going to be doing today? Which 
as a millennial, it's hard to, to stomach a little bit, but you realize it's, it's very important to understand all the different functions of a mortgage company so that you can have a good sense of the origination process and, and how things work. And it'll only help you out later in your career. That's cool. And, and, and nowadays people are just slotted into a category, right? You do this job only and do the best element of that. And you might not know what the overall um, objective is of that task you're doing. So just like you, I started that same way in investment banking where I got to intern in each department of an investment bank, from research to trading to venture capital. And that gave, I'm sure that gave you a holistic view of the industry and allowed you to kind of focus in on the area that you had passion for that you wanted to discover more about. Is that kind of how that worked out? Certainly. I, I've always had a passion for capital markets, but being able to shadow a loan officer for a month or two or uh, kind of be a junior underwriter or, or work with processors for a couple of weeks. You know, all those things factor into my overall knowledge. And I'm very grateful that I had the opportunity to do it. That's awesome. So, so you go from being 15 years old, not even being able to drive yet. You get your driver's license. You go on to high school or finish high school, go to college. What, what happened next? Like what, what drove you to stay in this industry? Because it's been in a lot of up and downs the last couple of decades, as we all know. Certainly. Uh, I went to the business school at the University of Texas, and part of the curriculum there was you had to have a summer internship for credit at a, some sort of financial institution. And so I worked for uh, Bay Equity in San Francisco one summer. I worked for People's National Bank in Colorado a different summer. And uh, it certainly helped having the, the Rolodex of, of contacts from my dad. But uh, the mortgage industry has always been something where I've, I've met really good people. And actually, when I graduated from the University of Texas, my first job was racing bicycles professionally in Europe. Uh, wow. Some, some, of my, some of my ex-teammates, you know, they're riding in the, the Tour de France now, that sort of thing. And well, that's a tough life. You know, you're... you're heart's going 180 beats per minute and you're trying to hang onto the wheel and you're out of breath and uh, you don't make much money. They give you a lot of free cliff bars and that sort of thing, but it, it doesn't pay very great. And uh, so I came back to the, the States after Europe and I got connected with SoFi and SoFi originally was a student loan refinancing company, but they wanted to branch into other uh, wealth products. And they said, what are the major milestones in somebody's life? Okay. You get a, you refinance your student loan. Maybe then you get a personal loan then mortgage will be the next step. And, and they've since gone on into other things like, like banking and debit accounts and uh, financial investments. But they wanted to launch the mortgage division. And so I was employee number two at, at SoFi. And, and that actually, in terms of the mortgage division, I think employee number 35 or 40 overall. And that was great in terms of being a jack of all trades from setting up vendor relationships uh, to determining our pricing, to running our rate lock desk, uh, to securing warehouse lines, to, to selling loans to the cash window or on a flow basis to investors or setting them up for securitizations. All of that was was really great. And so that, I think, officially launched me into it as a career rather than something that was just a, a summer job that I did between classes. That's really cool. And, and that approach that SoFi had was building trust with the millennials, right? People that are graduating college, build rapport, have their brand name be the strong name that hopefully stays with that individual for their life events, right? We all want to stay in relationship-based activities, right? I always call myself a lifestyle lender because I need to be there for life events that happen. 
That's when it's not about rate, about the lowest price. It's about advice, knowledge, and trust. So that was a really smart approach on SoFi's part. And um, congratulations on that opportunity. And um, super cool that you were able to be part of a really big movement and trend of, um, you know, taking one product and really developing a model off, off of that, which is exciting. And I have a, a quick story there for you. So when I, Please, was, yeah. Yeah. When I was running the, the rate lock desk at SoFi, I, all my LOs would come to me and go, we're getting beat up on rate. We're getting beat up on rate. What can you do? My borrower is going to walk. And, you know, it's tough as a, as a capital markets person because you want to give better rates, but at some point you have to reserve margin. And then on the flip side, I, I recently purchased a house last year and I actually went with a company that I had a good relationship with the executives uh, and they'd been really good to me in the past and it wasn't about rate. And so I kind of saw both sides of the equation where this relation, this in, excuse me, this industry is always going to be a relationship based industry. And the mortgage as a commodity is something that borrowers are going to want to work with somebody they feel like they can trust, somebody that's going to do right by them. Uh, and so when I was when I was shopping around, I, I said, you know, an eighth of a rate isn't going to make a difference to me. I want to work with a company that that I really want to do business with. Can I record that like a million times and play that through like the entire world? <laughs> because it's interesting. You have two camps, right? You have that lowest rate, I don't care about the relationship, and then you have relationship, you have rapport, you have legacy, you have respect, on the other hand. And I have that every day happen to me, and I'm hopeful that I'm in the camp of relationships, because I'd rather be there to help someone with other things that they need help with, not just refinancing or buying a home, but like bigger financial decisions. So I get that loud and clear. I respect that a lot. And I'm so happy to hear that you took that approach. Uh, that is really encouraging for me to hear that people are understanding that it's not just about going online, finding the lowest rate, and then working with a robot or AI. Um, speaking about AI, um, what do you think AI, ChatGPT, or any of these other um, automated robotic things are going to do to our industry? Do you think it just makes efficiencies better and keeps the loan officer or the realtor engaged with the relationship? What are your thoughts around that? You know, I have a lot of interviewees on my podcast or sponsors on my podcast that are technologically uh, inclined or, or technology companies. And what I would say, I, a, a good example would be uh, AI for underwriting. And, and I think that you're never going to remove the human element from the mortgage process. But what you can do is take out the human element for trivial matters that, that it's not necessary to have that human touch as part of, you know, some underwrites are going to be complicated and you certainly need an underwriter to apply kind of an art as well as a science to an underwrite and understand a, a borrower's complete picture. But in terms of straightforward uh, steps in the, the loan application process or, or getting the loan to closing, I think that you can find ways to have technology really help with that. And the MBA just came out and, and their most recent cost per closed loan file was nearing $13,000 per closed loan. And so you think, you know, I'm not, I'm not going for LO comp here. Don't, don't worry about that. But I think there are certainly ways to make the process a lot more seamless and efficient that will lower costs. And, and I hope that's where the industry goes, because ultimately those savings will be able to be passed on to the borrower. Absolutely agree with you 200%. If we all had conforming products, as in they were all identical, if each house in the United States or in a market was the exact same thing, I would be worried. 
Um, if everyone had the exact same objectives in life and we're at the exact same timeline in life, I'd be worried. But every day people get married, they get divorced, they have twins, they get a job promotion, they lose their job. That happens every day to tens of thousands of people. So I'm not worried about that from where, I, where I'm sitting as a loan officer. Um, I'm just wanting to make sure I focus my time and energy on those that will appreciate and respect the knowledge, the experience that people like you and I can bring to make a better decision for those people. And that's the whole point of this podcast is know before you owe, right? That's the whole premise of why I did this podcast was really just to drive more knowledge to people, to let them make a better informed decision and empower them to make that decision. It's like being a good coach. To me, if I'm a good coach, I'm going to tell people what they're not doing really well and try to encourage them and support them to do better at the things that they're not good at. And that's kind of like giving knowledge. That's really trying to share life perspectives. Um, like you owning a home, I've owned 18 homes in my life. My first time I bought when I was 21 years old, straight off of the Wall Street market maker trader floor and got to learn a lot of lessons really quickly about going from having roommates at my college to now having those people be tenants in my same place I lived. It was the weirdest thing ever, having roommates, literally my best friends, become my tenants in this, and really mind-blowing to think about. So I hear you loud and clear on that. That's, that's encouraging to know that you believe with all these guests that you have, and you have probably, I don't know, 100 guests in your show, to know that it's about enhancing those relationships and, and give us time back to really focus on what matters. Because if, if I can do a loan in three days and I'm not adding any value, then someone can go anywhere and get a loan. And if, I, if I'm not finding those voids or needs in someone's lives where they need some help, maybe they need a financial planner or a CPA or an attorney or an insurance person. That's my job, I believe, to help fill those gaps and add value. And I think you do that every day also in your podcast. And you, I mean, you hit on an amazing point there and that's adding value, whether that's us producing content whether that's us being a counterparty in a financial transaction with someone, whether that's the content that, that I put in, the, in our daily newsletter for the Christman commentary, it's all about adding value to people's lives. People have so many things going on now on their, their smartphones, their computers, their notifications, things like that. How can you cut through that noise and actually provide value to people to where they are going to want to listen to you, where they're going to pay you attention, where they're going to give you valuable time out of their day? to hear what you have to say. That's perfectly, I feel the exact same way. And also being authentic, right? Like you and I are being authentic right now because you're able to see us, right? We're in different parts of the country today. We're being authentic on what we're all about. And um, that's also inspiring because uh, people need to see and feel and trust you before they work with you a lot of times. Well said. Awesome. So you brought up the Christian commentary. Um, this to me is the Magna Carta, the gold standard, the encyclopedia of all knowledge in our industry. Um, can you share, if you don't mind, how much effort goes into that on a daily basis? What if I say it's easy? Then, then does that degrade the? No, it it uh, it's a you know, it's three thousand words. It's a lot of information that's in there every day. Uh, fortunately, as I told you before, we came on the air today. A lot of it kind of writes itself. People say, how do, you have, how do you have so much to say every day? And obviously my dad and I both work on it, but there's investor updates that are coming out every day. There's new economic releases that are coming out every day. There's new vendor products. There's new tech products. There's, there's all these, there's new employment opportunities. 
So we're very fortunate in that we're kind of an aggregator for news. We're not the ones making news. We're just the ones sourcing it from a lot of different places and presenting it in a cohesive, unified format for the people. Uh, it, it certainly takes its time to compose. And my dad is a, an excellent editor in chief there. Uh, but we're, we're fortunate to work with a lot of uh, news outlets or, or PR outlets that, that help provide us valuable information. And that basically, if no one's seen that, I'm going to have an overlay of you just talking about it, showing how much detail goes into one of those commentaries that you guys write. Is it six days a week, five days a week? How many days a week are you guys putting that content Six, six days a week. Uh, I'm, I'm on the East Coast right now, which this, this is a nice respite for me because that means I can wake up at 7 a.m. instead of 4 a.m. on the West Coast like I normally do. It's uh, it's brutal with the markets opening at, at Five thirty, you know, economic releases coming out at five thirty in the morning West Coast time, and, and needing to be on top of that. So, uh, being in an Eastern time zone helps helps a little bit in terms of my my beauty rest. That's awesome. Yeah, uh, I wish I had some beauty rest. That'd be fantastic. Um, so, on and you guys write this thing like four in the morning. I've heard from people that you guys are at it that early, getting the data out and kind of triaging what's important in the priorities, almost like a CNN update. Like, is that kind of how it works? That's one way to look at it. You will have an idea the day before what's going on, or you could look at an economic calendar earlier in the week or earlier in the month and, and have an idea. Okay. Yeah. Uh, on the, the week of April 10th, the CPI and PPI figures are going to come out and you can plan in advance for that. Okay. The next fed meeting is on May 2nd and 3rd. Let's get some commentary lined up for that before then. But certainly you don't know what, what CPI is going to be until the morning of at 8.30 a.m. Eastern. And then boom, it hits the tape. What's the market reaction? How are MBS prices moving? How are treasury yields moving? There, there are a lot of different moving pieces that you need to be up early in the morning for. And so uh, we're, we're up. We're up early. Uh, it, I guess the, the positive benefit to that is you can, you can maybe end your day a little earlier or you can take the, the middle of the day to go uh, – I like naps, you know, na a nap in the middle of the day and because uh, I work from 4 a.m. to, to 6.30 a.m. and then maybe 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. sort of thing. And then in the middle of the day, I can, I can get out and enjoy some sunshine or catch up on some sleep or something like that. I like the life balance. It's probably very important for you and your dad to have balance in what you do because you could probably go nuts doing the same thing every day. And, and it's just a knowledge and fire hose of information coming at you. And so I'd imagine you got to keep things within perspective. If you get a lot of good news or bad news on a day, I'm sure it could be exciting or depressing. So I'm sure that's hard to, to balance a lot of times, especially in the downturn of 08, 09, and 2010, when it was very difficult to be in areas like California, Florida, and Nevada, um, where we saw a lot of activity that happened, unfortunately, for homeowners that didn't create a positive outcome. But um, you could say you could say the the downturn of right now, and not to be too doom and gloom here, but we've seen a lot of right sizing from mortgage companies. We've, uh, I, personally speaking, with the the daily commentary, advertisements have dropped down. Investor news has has slowed down. It it's really apparent that the industry is going through a shift, and and a lot of that is because the the Federal Reserve with its easy money and quantitative easing flooded the financial system. And, and when they do that, they bring demand forward in a market cycle. And so what I tell people, and like I said, not to be too doom and gloom here, as good as 2020 and 2021 were for the mortgage industry, and they were arguably the best years ever, 
you're going to have the flip side of that economic cycle. And, and we're, we're seeing that. I, I'd like to look at the bright side and say, with this spring home buying season coming to the fore with the Fed potentially reaching their terminal Fed funds rate in terms of a peak for this tightening cycle, hopefully we've seen the worst of it, uh, but we're certainly not out of the out of the woods yet. I agree with you 200%. Um, I've been lucky to have done about, uh, helped about 8,400 families buy homes in my career. So I've seen a lot of cycles similar to you. And the, the part that's interesting now is the fact that the inventory to me is so low. And so there's a, there's a fundamental economic thing going on too, just purely supply and demand of housing ability, right? Like if we have 12,000 new millennials looking for housing and we're only creating 900 to a million units a year, there's a big issue there purely to supply and demand. And so those traditional interest rate levers that would, that, that do change buying power capacity is not really having the same effect, I think, as it, as it would have if there's more inventory like we saw in 2007 and eight, when there was over 6 million units in surplus versus a shortage of, you know, several million now, if that makes sense. Do you think the same way? I don't need to uh, belabor the, the point here, but everybody knows builders aren't building at the, the rate they historically have over the last several dec decades. And on top of that, I'm sure you you and I both have dozens and dozens of friends that would tell you how great their 3% 30-year fixed mortgage rate is. Why would they ever want to give that up and and move to a different house? You know, So, so supply really isn't there and supply will be the key to, to kind of getting out of this uh, affordability I don't want to say crisis, but crisis that we're in right now. I agree. And, and people, uh, unfortunately, a lot of times there are innovative products that are coming out. For example, <clears throat> buy, buy before you sell programs or bridge loans or trading mortgages. Things like that are, are, are being created to help people try to get a try to make the move before they sell a property, because right now it's hard to find a place to move to. So I'm, I'm hopeful that there's more inventory coming on the market. I'm hopeful that there's uh, more people that are looking to move, but it just seems like the trend is people are going to stay in their homes longer. And I always get concerned about seniors. Um, I do a lot of reverse mortgages. I'm always concerned that a senior, um, I want to make sure they're taken care of, right? They've worked hard to establish home ownership, you know, decades ago. And I just want to make sure that they're comfortable and able to live their life how they want to, not trapped in a a large home on a second story or in a neighborhood that's no longer safe for them or fits their needs. And so, you know, housing to me is a passion thing. And you mentioned passion earlier in this call where you have to have a passion for going through hard times, right? It's not exciting to tell people, sorry, you don't qualify or sorry, we can't meet your dreams. Um, on the flip side, it's, it's amazing when you can help someone fulfill a dream. And I think the people that have that drive, like you and I in this industry, are going to continue to be successful because we're in it for the right reasons. We're not in it for just the paycheck, right? Um, today, I have four closings, of which two are first-time home buyers and two are move-up buyers, and it's it's an honor to help them. It's 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 an amazing thing. So that drives me, and that brings us to my my next question around. What are you excited about for the future of this industry? What drives you and motivates you? What are you looking forward to? I was all ready to say it's all about the paycheck, but uh, you, you cut me <laughs> off. Well, I'm very excited about the technological advancements of the origination process. 
And I mean, we alluded to it earlier with, with the way tech stacks can play nicely with themselves now. And uh, you can create a really streamlined and efficient process for a borrower. I'm excited what, for it to become a real reality. We've been talking about the digitization of mortgage since the early 2010s. And yes, there's been adoption, there's been more adoption, but it's not quite there. I, I would not say that we're quite at push button, get mortgage just yet, at least for the, the vast, vast majority of the industry. And sure, there's always going to be some handholding that goes on in the mortgage process. Underwrites aren't going to be straightforward, but I'm, I'm excited to see the industry become a easier financial product. I can go to a car dealership and get an auto loan in a day. Apply that day, get the loan, drive off the lot. And I would, I would love to see mortgages get closer and closer to that. Good to know. And that would mean that a lot of people have to add more value in different ways. Maybe it's wealth products. Maybe it's other sticky things like we've seen with traditional banks, right? Banks like to have seven or eight cross-sell products because that means their retention is going to be almost 90% of that client loyalty. I still have a silly ACH transfer going for an insurance product at a bank I no longer like, but I'm afraid to turn it off because I don't want to lose out on my insurance policy and have them make a mistake on the payment. So that stickiness is going to change. And you mentioned that, um, you know, technology will help advance the, the process. Commoditization is, I don't like that word personally um, in our industry because it just takes every piece of value and customization out of, out of my job. But I do think it complements these, these innovations and fintech companies can complement successful people that are leaders in their marketplace. I also think that realtors are successful because they are community leaders. They're adding value in the communities that they serve. And I think it's the same thing for us as loan officers. You can have those online people that are shopping for uh, refinance, or you can help people with big decisions. And so um, I always find it more rewarding to be on the big decision side and build relationships. So to tell me a little bit about um, one of your most intriguing guests you've ever had on your, on your podcast or met, um, someone that stands out to you that you've gained a lot of insight from. And this goes back to the whole theme of know before you owe. This insight um, is something that I want you to think back on. And if you were younger, let's say you started at age 10 versus age 14 or 15, uh, what would you have told yourself when you're in second grade um, about being successful in this, in this business? What are some things you would wish people would have taught you, even though you had the best mentors, the best um, leaders in our industry? Um, what, what would be some things that you want to go back in time and tell yourself? So I think the most interesting guest I've had, and apologies to all my other hundreds of guests that I've had on, but I had an economist named Elliot Eisenberg on while ago and and we had a discussion kind of surrounding freakonomics type things and and the way that uh you know sociological phenomenon play into the mortgage process and borrower behavior i found it fascinating uh i i'm very happy that on my podcast i get to present a variety of mortgage experts but some some of my favorite interviews are when we kind of step outside the realm of mortgage and uh talk about everyday life type things and, and how it is affecting the mortgage processor. Or I'll bring my uh, friends on the show and they'll have questions about what, what does it take to be able to buy a house and, and kind of things that everyday people can relate to and not just those people that are in the industry and, and hearing the same 
oh, you know, you need this tech product to, to advance your mortgage origination process. You know, that's, that's one thing that sticks out. Advice for my second grade self. <laughs> oh gosh. You know, I'm going to be, I'm going to give you a pretty optimistic answer here and say that I'm, I give myself in second grade, the same advice that I give myself today. And that is, there is a tremendous opportunity as a young person or younger person in the mortgage industry to make your way, to carve out your niche, to, to be able to find something you're passionate about. And a couple of years ago, I would have said podcast, you know, every, every millennial man seems to have a podcast where they blather on with their friends and who wants to listen to me. But what I've been able to grow has been really cool. Watching the, the commentary, the daily newsletter continue to grow has been fantastic. And I think that there's some other opportunities out there when it comes to content and adding value. Uh, I've been, I'm kind of spitballing this with some friends right now, but I look at like a barstool sports type model where they have, they have writing, they have audio shows, they have video shows. And, and I think taking the Chrisman commentary towards kind of your go-to place for all things mortgage or all things real estate uh, and, and branching out a little bit. I think there's some cool opportunities there. Uh, I've been talking to my realtor friends about doing like a uh, housing horror stories where, you know, these crazy borrower experiences, or I would love to, to partner with a realtor where we go on and, and people that are looking at homes come on and say, what should I know about this house before I buy? What could turn up in the inspection? What should I know about financing? Things like that. I think there's some real cool opportunities there. And uh, I just, I feel very fortunate that, that, I'm kind of at the, the forefront of that. And, and to a degree, the, the world's my oyster a little bit. I like that a lot. It makes a whole lot of sense, especially focusing on new homeowners and it's a casual thing. I think no one wants to be pressured any, into any decision. They want to be empowered to make that decision. So I, I think it's going to be very successful. And if you need someone on the show for a, a quick beer to hang out and, and BS with you, let me know. I'm happy to be on as a guest. But um, really, really honored to have you on, on this call today and podcast and video. Um, Robbie, you're a, you're a wealth of knowledge and so excited to see what you have for the future of this industry when the average age is now, what, 61 years old? Um, guys like you and I, well, maybe not me, but guys like you have a long trajectory ahead. And like you mentioned, the world is your oyster. And I'm, I'm looking forward to, to following you and and getting advice from you. A lot of times people um, think they have to learn from elders and it's not the case. Everyone has different perspectives. We all learn different ways and we all have different approaches to get knowledge. And um, I just wanna say thank you so much for being on my podcast today. And I look forward to seeing you someday soon in person when you're back in the Bay Area. Um, and we will make sure that we put all of your links to all your great commentary, your daily mortgage posts, everything about you in um, all of these podcast um, shorts we're going to do and any, any departing words that you have for our guests today. I'm sure you have a long runway in front of you too. I'm very appreciative for the opportunity to come on and uh, I'd, I'd love to have you on my show at some point. It's, it's been uh, really enjoyable talking to you and, and yes, I'll take you up on an offer of a drink when I'm back in the Bay Area. Sounds good, Robbie. Well, I appreciate your time and that's another edition of No Before You Owe. I appreciate our guests always having informed decisions that they can make now with more knowledge. And if you have any questions or reach out, feel free to drop us online. We'd love to respond. And again, thank you for your time, Robbie. I look forward to seeing you soon and enjoy your day, everybody. Take care.